Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. It's time for our calm mystery. Our selection this time, The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester. Read by Perry F. Bruns. Part 1. I think it's about time someone got all those stories together and burned them. You know the kind I mean. X, the mad scientist, wants to change the world. Y, the ruthless dictator, wants to rule the world. Z, the alien planet, wants to destroy the world. Let me tell you a different kind of story. It's about a whole world that wanted to rule one man. About a planet of people who hunted down a single individual in an effort to change his life, yes, and even destroy him if it had to be. It's a story about one man against the entire Earth, but with the positions reversed. They've got a place in Manhattan City that isn't very well known. 
Not known, I mean, in the sense that the cell nucleus wasn't known until scientists began to get the general idea. This was an undiscovered cell nucleus, and still is, I imagine. It's the pivot of our universe. Anything that shakes the world comes out of it, and strangely enough, any shake that does come out of it is intended to prevent worse upheavals. Don't ask questions now. I'll explain as I go along. The reason the average man doesn't know about this particular nucleus is that he'd probably go off his nut if he did. Our officials make pretty sure it's kept secret, and although some nosy bodies would scream to high heaven if they found out something was being kept from the public, anyone with sense will admit it's for the best. It's a square white building, about ten stories high, and it looks like an abandoned hospital. Around nine o'clock in the morning, you can see a couple of dozen ordinary-looking citizens arriving, and at the end of the workday, some of them leave. But there's a considerable number that stay overtime and work until dawn or until the next couple of dawns. They're cautious about keeping windows covered so that high-minded citizens won't see the light and run to the controller's office yawping about overtime and breaking down stability. Also, they happen to have permission. Yeah, it's real big-time stuff. These fellows are so important, and their work is so important, they've got permission to break the one unbreakable law. They can work overtime. In fact, as far as they're concerned, they can do any damned thing they please, stability or no stability. Because it so happens they're the babies that maintain stability. How? Take it easy. We've got plenty of time and I'll tell you. It's called the Prog Building, and it's one of the regular newspaper beats, just like the police courts used to be a couple of hundred years ago. Every paper sends a reporter down there at three o'clock. The reporters hang around and bull for a while, and then some brass hat interviews them, talks policy and economics, and about how the world is doing and how it's going to do. Usually it's dull stuff, but every once in a while something really big comes out, like the time they decided to drain the Mediterranean. They... What? You never heard of that? Say, who is this guy anyway? Are you kidding? From the moon? Hey, all your life? Never been to the home planet? Never heard about what goes on? A real cosmic hick. Baby, you can roll me in a rug. I thought your kind died out before I was born. Okay, you go ahead and ask questions whenever you want. Maybe I'd better apologize now for the slang. It's part and parcel of the newspaper game. Maybe you won't be able to understand me sometimes, but I've got a heart of gold. Anyway, I had the regular three o'clock beat at the Prog Building, and this particular day I got there a little early. Seems the Trib had a new reporter on the beat, a guy by the name of Hallie Hogan, whom I'd never met. I wanted to get together with him and talk policy. For the benefit of the hermit from the moon, I'll explain that no two newspapers in any city are permitted to share the same viewpoint or opinion. I thought all you boys knew that. Well, sure, I'm not kidding. Look, stability is the watchword of civilization. The world must be stable, right? Well, stability doesn't mean stasis. Stability is reached through an equipoise of opposing forces that balance each other. Newspapers are supposed to balance the forces of public opinion, so they have to represent as many different points of view as possible. 
we reporters always got together before a story, or after, and made sure none of us would agree on our attitudes. You know, some would say it was a terrible thing, and some would say it was a wonderful thing, and some would say it didn't mean a thing, and so on. I was with the Times, and our natural competitor and opposition was the Trib. The newspaper room in the Prague building is right next to the main offices, just off the foyer. It's a big place, with low-beamed ceiling and walls done in synthetic wood panels. There was a round table in the center, surrounded by hardwood chairs, but we stood the chairs along the wall and dragged up the big, deep leather ones. We all would sit with our heels on the table, and every chair had a groove on the table in front of it. There was an unwritten law that no shop could be talked until every groove was filled with a pair of heels. That's a newspaper man's idea of a pun. I was surprised to find almost everybody was in. I slipped into my place and upped with my feet and then took a look around. Every sandal showed except the pair that should have been opposite me, so I settled back and shut my eyes. That was where the Trib Man should have been parked, and I certainly couldn't talk without my opposition being there to contradict me. The post said, What makes, Carmichael? I said, Oh, hum. The post said, Don't sleep, baby, there's big things cooking. The ledger said, Shut up, you know the rules. He pointed to the vacant segment of table. I said, You mean the law of the jungle. The record, who happened to be the ledger's opposition, said, Old Bob has left. He ain't coming in no more. How come? Got a stereo contract doing comedy scenarios. I thought to myself, boy, that means another wrestling match. You see, whenever new opposition reporters get together, they're supposed to have a symbolic wrestling match. I said supposed. It always turns into a brawl with everybody else having the fun. Well, I said. This new Hogan probably doesn't know the ropes yet. I guess I'll have to go into training. Anybody seen him? He looks strong? They all shook their heads and said they didn't know him. Okay, then let's gab without him. Post said, Your correspondent has it that the pot's a-boiling. Every big wig in town is in there. He jabbed his thumb toward the main offices. We all gave the door a glance, only, like I always did, I tried to knock it in with a look. You see, although all of us came down to the prog building every day, none of us knew what was inside. Yeah, it's fact. We just came and sat and listened to the big shots and went away, like specters at the feast. It griped all of us, but me most of all. I would dream about it at night. Now, there was a hyperman living in the prog building, only he breathed chlorine and they kept him in tanks or that they had the mummies of all the great men of the past which they reanimated every afternoon to ask questions. Or it would be a cow in some dreams that was full of brains, and they'd taught it to moo and code. There were times when I thought that if I didn't get upstairs into the prog building, I'd burst from frustration. So I said, You think they're going to fill up the Mediterranean again? The ledger laughed. He said, I hit tell they're going to switch poles, north to south and vice versa. The record said, You don't think they could? The ledger said, I wish they would, if it'd improve my bridge. I said, Can it, lads, and let's have the dope. The journal said, Well, all the regulars are in. Controller, vice-con, and deputy vice-con. 
but there also happens to be among those present the chief stabilizer. No. He nodded, and the others nodded. Beck, the CS himself, came up by pneumatic from Washington. I said, oh, mama. Five will get you ten. They're digging up Atlantis this time. The record shook his head. The CS didn't wear a digging look. Just then, the door to the main office shoved open, and the CS came thundering out. I'm not exaggerating. Old Groding had a face like Moses, beard and all. And when he frowned, which was now, you expected lightning to crackle from his eyes. He breezed past the table with just one glance from the blue quartz he's got for eyes. And all our legs came down with a crash. Then he shot out of the room so fast I could hear his rep tunic swish with quick whistling sounds. After him came the controller, the vice-con, and the deputy vice-con, all in single file. They were frowning, too, and moving so rapidly we had to jump to catch the deputy. We got him at the door and swung him around. He was short and fat, and trouble didn't sit well on his pudgy face. It made him look slightly lopsided. He said, Not now, gentlemen. Just a minute, Mr. Clang, I said. I don't think you're being fair to the press. I know it, the deputy said, and I'm sorry, but I really cannot spare the time. So I said, so we report to fifteen million readers that time can't be spared these days. He stared at me, only I'd been doing some staring myself, and I knew I had to get him to agree to give us a release. I said, have a heart. If anything's big enough to upset the stability of the chief stabilizer, we ought to get a look in. That worried him, and I knew it would. Fifteen million people would be more than slightly unnerved to read that the C.S. had been in a dither. Listen, I said. What goes on? What were you talking about upstairs? He said, All right, come down to my office with me. We'll prepare a release. Only I didn't go out with the rest of them. Because, you see, while I'd been nudging the deputy, I noticed that all of them had rushed out so fast they'd forgotten to close the office door. It was the first time I'd seen it unlocked, and I knew I was going to go through it this time. That was why I'd wheedled that release out of the deputy. I was going to get upstairs into the prog building because everything played into my hands. First, the door being left open. Second, the man from the trib not being there. Why? Well, don't you see? The opposition papers always paired off. The ledger and the record walked together, and the journal and the news, and so on. This way I was alone, with no one to look for me and wonder what I was up to. I pushed around in the crowd a little as they followed the deputy out and managed to be the last one in the room. I slipped back behind the door jamb, waited a second, and then streaked across to the office door. I went through it like a shot and shut it behind me. When I had my back against it, I took a breath and whispered, Hyperman, here I come. That's the end of Part 1 of The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester here on Calm Mystery. Rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher if you haven't already. And share us with a friend or a dear enemy. Until next time. Stay calm. Everything's a mystery. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery. 
a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.